Hey everybody, I'm Tim Whitaker, along with Rob McMichael and Jordan Renault. This is our podcast, Coffee, Theology, and Jesus. Our purpose for this podcast is to discuss this messy, difficult, and amazing thing we call the Christian faith. As Christians, we are encouraged and challenged constantly to see what the Bible teaches us about who Jesus was and how he lived and how we can better represent his message every day. Join us each episode as we explore how this relationship with Jesus affects everything from politics and religion to relationships and theology. Now that you know a little more about us, let's get into this week's episode. What is up, everyone? Happy New Year. Welcome to the Coffee, Theology, and Jesus podcast. We have a great show for you. Let me just say I am wishing all of our listeners a happy 2021 I hope it's better than last year. Last year was rough, but if you're here, we got through it, and here's to better and bigger things. Hey, so this week, we actually were able to interview John Mark McMillan, which is awesome, and um, what an honor it was to have him on the show. We talked about a lot of stuff from the worship industry to pain and suffering to um, his experience with mental health and everything in between, but I I have to preface something. This is true. So John comes on to record, and as we're recording the episode, my internet dropped out about seven to eight times during this recording. It was terrible. I've never been so embarrassed my entire life, and of course, it would happen when we have our most well-known guest on the podcast. Everything just fell apart. John, though, being the professional that he is, recorded his own audio, thank God, because if we didn't have his audio, this interview would be totally um, unpresentable. It, it wouldn't have actually happened. So, John, if you're listening, you are a gentleman and a scholar, and you're also brilliant for recording your own audio. His audio guys sounds so much better than ours, which I think is good because he is John Mark McMillan, so hopefully he has some decent gear in his house. But keep that in mind. I had to do a lot of editing because we had to pause and pick up where we left off. So if you don't hear you know, certain responses from me that maybe should happen, like a moment of humor and there's no laughter from me, that's because I wasn't on the call at that point, and John was just going because I told him, do not stop, I'll resume. So keep that in mind. But that being said, without further ado, here is this week's episode. Here's our interview with John. I hope you guys enjoy it. We would love your feedback. You can follow us at CTJ Podcast or shoot us an email, podcast at coffeetheologyandjesus.com. And please do not forget to share this episode and rate it on iTunes. Talk to you guys soon. All right, everyone. Thank you for joining us on this interview. I have Jordan with me, and I also have a very special guest, uh, the one, the only, John Mark McMillan. So, John, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, it's so good to be with you guys. Um, So, I have... I've kind of watched you from afar in a lot of ways. All I knew about you up until a few years ago was that you were the guy who wrote How He Loves. That's that's all I knew. Okay, this John guy wrote this song. I'm playing it all the time in church, like 24 seven. And uh, the first, the first version I heard was the one that Kim Walker did on her album years yep. ago. Yep. I was like, Oh, this song is killer. So that's how I heard about you. But since then I've, I've watched, watched it from afar. I've listened to your albums, really unique sound, really cool stuff. So for all the people out there who might not be familiar with the work that you're doing, why don't you give us like the five minute, just big picture overview of who, of who John is? Yeah, totally. Well, so first of all, I'm still trying to figure that out somewhat for myself, <laughs> you know. Um, but uh, as as far as I'm sorry, I'm losing you guys. <laughs> no Are problem. you there? Yeah, we're here. Whoops. Hello. Yep. 
Okay. I'm sorry, guys. I think no problem. I'll just <laughs> I'll just keep talking. I know you probably have to edit this out. I'll just keep talking <laughs> if this happens again, and you can just edit it however you want. I can send you my audio or whatever. That's um, fine. Yeah, so who am I? Yeah, like I said, I'm still kind of figuring that out, if I'm honest. But uh, I started out as... Um, you know, writing songs and playing in rock bands around town and in my, you know, late teens and uh, in in kind of my early 20s, I got interested in like church stuff, you know, and I, th- I think a lot of that had to do with the um, the community aspect, you know, um, I wanted to be part of something. I wanted to be connected to other people. And so I, I ended up I wasn't sure what I wanted to do with my life. Um you know, there's that moment when you're supposed to go to college and, you know, you're like, you know, your brain doesn't finish developing till you're like, what, 25 or something. But you have to make the most important decisions of your whole life between like 19 and 23, right? You know, and so it's really not fair. There's a lot of pressure. And so I decided I was going to go to college. And then at the last minute, I was like, I don't know what I want to do with my life. I want to take some time off. I ended up going to a ministry school to kind of figure myself out. And while I was at the ministry school, I wanted to be part of the music because that's where I felt like I belonged, right? And so uh, in order to be part of the music, I wasn't a good musician, really. Um, So I knew that if I was going to be involved, I had to be like a songwriter and had to be like, you know, the leader because I wasn't good enough to back anybody up. So in order to do that, I had to write my own songs. That's kind of the rule. So I had written some songs before that, but that's when I really started writing songs. And then not long after that, I went through a series of minor crises. Well, some minor, they're major crises. Um, But uh, the first one was I was, I got engaged to this girl. We were going to get married and about a month before um, we broke it off. It was devastating to me at the time. Um, and I was depressed. I was working down in Charleston, South Carolina, and I moved back home to be closer to family. And um, I didn't have much of a job. I think I was having car problems, but I moved in with a friend of mine. Uh, his grandmother um, moved to an assisted living, and she said we could stay at her house um, just to kind of keep it up while she was gone. Um, and so I had a free place to live, so almost nothing to do. Um, so I'd stay up very late every night and sit on the porch and write songs. And that's how I started to sort of, that's how I began to deal with some of my, uh, that's how I learned to sort of deal with my internal emotional issues. You know, at the time it became a kind of therapy for me. And so before that I wrote songs, but people really didn't start to pay attention to songs until after that time period. A couple of years later, a friend of mine passed away and I did the same kind of thing. Just stayed up late, depressed, sad, and dealt with my issues through song. And um, so, But what's interesting to me is that uh, people didn't... It's not like I was a better songwriter after that. But I think that early on I wrote songs that I thought people wanted me to write or I wrote songs that people thought I was supposed to write. And then after that, I feel like I kind of maybe learned how to write songs that I felt like I needed to write. And those are the songs that started to connect with people. Um, even the How We Love song, that's a song I wrote after my friend died. And the song is actually about my friend. People misunderstand that song, like always. But, um, you know, it's also a song and 
a song is not meant to be a certain thing. A song is like a tool. It's a, uh, I hate that word. It's not a tool. But a song can, meaning uh, is really in the ears of the hearer, not in the mouth of the speaker. And with a song, if it, if it means something to you, then it really does mean that because that's what you need it to mean. And um, and so I, I'm more than happy for people to let my songs mean whatever it is, as long as they find some meaning in the song. So that's kind of how I started. On a porch, um, depressed, with nowhere to go. Nowhere to go. Singing to the street, literally singing to God and the street. We had this kind of busy street, and occasionally late at night we had the speed hump. Because it's, it's kind of a neighborhood street, but it was also a busier street. It was a great cut through to two major roads and in the city. And so late at night, people would fly down the street and they wouldn't slow down for the speed hump. And we would sit and watch them bottom out on the speed hump. And we would just sing songs and watch people bottom out. I saw a fire truck bottom out one night. That was great. It was wonderful. But yeah, so I, I know, you know, I, I'm 41. And so, and I always feel like, my story is still being written. So it's hard to know where to start when people ask, you know, what's the five minute version of me? Well, that's kind of the, that's maybe that's a little bit of context for you. All right, John. So you tell the story and I really, okay. So most of our listeners know that I'm pretty involved in, in church music. I've been in bands my whole yeah. life. I've, I've done that kind of thing. Um, and I don't think most people understand who aren't in that, that, that scene or that, or that music thing um, how personal these songs are for people. You know, yeah, it yeah. seems like sometimes someone writes a song, like you write how he loves people go, Oh, that's a great song. We'll sing it in church. And they don't know like the pain yeah, from yeah. where that, that song came <laughs> from. But then I also wonder when it comes to some of our more modern day, like church music, if, if it comes from like that kind of place or if it's more just designed for the masses. I mean, you've, yeah. I feel like you've kind of been in both worlds a little bit. I mean, my church has certainly played a few of your songs. Um, I don't know if we play anything off your new album because it's just so different. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Um, totally. But I mean, can you kind of speak to that? Like, what's it like kind of being in both of these worlds for you? Yep. Yeah, sure. So I think there's a lot to talk about as far as what makes a song work in a different context. There's sort of just, as you know, the nature of the song itself. Like if I'm writing, um, for a specific instrument, it's going to be in a certain key. It's going to have a certain tempo. It's going to work with that instrument. If I'm writing for, if I want to write big guitar songs, I'm gonna, I'm not going to write them in C. I'm going to write them in E or G, because I want to be able to play those big chords, right? If I'm writing songs for people to sing, if the people are the instrument, then I'm going to write songs that resonate with them, that they can grab a hold of, melodies that they can mm -hmm. uh, sing along with. You know, so if you're writing a, a banger for a club, it's going to have, um, you know, a kick drum in it, yes. you know, <laughs> if you and so it's like it's not that any of this is sort of like sell out or like you're being um, disingenuous. It's like you you write for the environment, like always. You never mm -hmm. don't do that. You're always doing that. You're always writing for the environment. It's always the outside reaching inside of you and pulling out relevant sounds and so there's that so if you're writing for a group of people it's going to be different uh just based on the nature of the music you're writing for the instrument you're writing the instrument being the voices of lots mm. of people mm. then there is the sort of theological um 
ideas around what a worship song is and isn't. And this is where I get um, a little bit uh, fiery, is that we sort of have decided that a certain type of information is more valuable than another type of information when it comes to theology or church. So Mm -hmm. what I mean is that um, we tend to lean towards songs that are more like educational or I mean, I think a negative term would be propaganda, and that's always negative, so I don't like to use that term because I'm not saying it's Jesus propaganda. People get mad because they misunderstand. But I'm talking about the nature of the work. And so, like, the alphabet song is a really great song for learning my letters, and I will never not know the alphabet song. Right. But I'm not going to sing the alphabet song at a wedding or a funeral or at the birth of a child. You know, I'm not going to sing it at, you know, my 50th birthday <laughs> extravaganza. <laughs> right. You like, can try, that, but it won't work exactly. out too well. <laughs> yeah. is that song is incredibly helpful, but it's not meaningful at all. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I try and get this idea across to people who write worship songs that the information alone is not what's important. What's important is arti- is helping people articulate meaning and information is not meaning. And this is a this is a thing, this is a conversation I want to have on a much larger scale than church. Because I think that, and I'll jump, I'll get back to worship songs in a minute, but I feel like the this idea that information and meaning are synonymous has disenchanted the world in a sense. Some mm. of the some of the most privileged cultures in the world um, have a high suicide rate, have a high rate of suicide. And I think, and and you've watched it spike in the last um, since the iPhone came out in 2007. Yep. You've watched it yep. spike, and I think that this is because we have substituted, or we have thought that information and meaning is the same thing. So we've accepted information. It's kind of like eating carbs. You just eat a lot of carbs, and you're like, "Why am I tired all the time? I've got so much. I'm taking in so much energy." But you're only taking in one type of energy. They're taking in sugar. And mm. I, I think there's a really interesting comparison there when you talk about the internet and clickbait and all that. Yep. But yep. I think that, and and church is this has has um, made a lot of the same mistakes. We've decided that what's most important about our worship songs is that they express um, this information that we think is the most important information. You know, which would be like you know, uh, accept Jesus or you're going to die and go to hell. Like that mm-hmm. seems like really important information, but I think what people miss is that that is not meaning. And if you want to mm-hmm. call that a fact, which that's something we can talk about too, but if you want to call that mm-hmm. a fact, facts are not, um, living reality. Facts are real, but facts in and of themselves are a dead reality. I need mm-hmm. a reason to believe the facts. Maybe believe is a bad word because once again, we, we've decided that like acknowledging that a thing is real is not the same as believing in a thing, mm. right? Information and meaning are not the same thing. Yeah. So the fact would be the information, but the meaning is the story that makes you see the fact. I'll give you an example. If so, like a great story, not great as in that it's great when it happens, but a story that sticks with you would be like a shark attack, right? Like a shark attack, um, everyone is afraid of sharks. Almost everyone is afraid of sharks. Not everyone, but you know. But when I go swimming in the ocean, we go every year, and every year I'm like, God, 
there are like large creatures who could rip my leg off and they're probably <laughs> right near me. Not yes. probably. They 100% are right by you. <laughs> and I think about it. But if you've ever read the statistics, I mean, a shark attack is a real right. thing. So I'm not saying it's not. Some of your listeners, there's probably someone out there has been bitten by a shark. I, and I could tell a funny <laughs> story later if you really want to get down to it. But, um, <laughs> but the shark fatalities are minute. There's like under right. 10 a year, right. I think worldwide. Like fewer than 10 people. So of the billions of people that dip their legs into the water, it's like such a minute percentage. So this is how small a percentage it is. You're more likely to die driving to the beach than swimming with the sharks. Right. You are statistically more likely to die drowning in the bathtub than being bitten by a shark. You're statistically more likely to die by falling in a hole in the sand than to be killed by a shark. You're statistically more likely to die from being hit in the head with a champagne cork. Every More people die from champagne corks every year than from sharks. But none of those stories are very interesting. And so the, none of those mean anything to us. So your car is far more deadly than a shark. But no one gets into the car on their way to work and thinks like, God, these these metal beasts surround me and I'm six inches from death right now. You never think that. But when you get in the water at the beach, you're like, there is a creature who could rip my leg off because we're talking about facts versus the story. And the story for the shark is just so much more relevant for some reason. Right. And so I guess this is my point is is not that the information doesn't matter um but that we have to tell better stories we have to give people a reason and that's and that has more to do with meaning than the facts themselves so when I'm writing a worship song I'm not thinking about how do I convey this checklist of facts to this crowd of people who don't know this really important information I never ever think that way I only, what I think about is how do I make a heart connection with these human beings who are here in the room? Because what matters most is not that they know the information. What matters is that they start to care. They start to care about other people. They care about God. They care about their place in the world. That's what matters. And then sort of like the facts will start to make sense and you don't have to feed them that information. But we've become a very informational um, type of religion uh, lately and lately by i mean like probably the past few hundred years is information is king that's why like the preaching is king that's why the 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 bible and the written word becomes king and none of those things were ever meant to be king all of those things are supposed to be um they're supposed to facilitate our lives and the stories that we tell with the way we live our lives those are supposed to f facilitate our stories and by stories, I don't mean our lies or our mythology necessarily or the things that we make up, but the, they, they exist to facilitate meaning, but never to replace meaning. So that's probably long-winded, but that's, that's what I see when I see worship songs that I think people miss. And, and, and it's not always their fault because they know what's valued the most in church and they want to write for what's valued in church. But I kind of want to challenge that or change the idea of what's what's valued. Why can't we write an in instrumental song? Why can't we dance in church instead of singing? Why can't we like sit down or why can't we walk up to the wall like they do at the Wailing Wall or like they do at Japanese shrines? You know, why can't we experience God in all these ways that 
we begin to experience God, why does why does it have to be always just purely informational? Does that make sense? John, here's the thing, right? I mean, you said a lot of things, and honestly, there are things that Jordan and Rob and I have talked about, um, a lot of them. I, let's focus on one thing right now sure. for the sake of yep. our time. So something that I've talked about is I'm, I'm part of um, this like multi-church worship night called Resonate. Yep. And we have about rough, well, this, this is all pre-COVID. We had about 50 different churches coming out at one night. We had um, eight different um, churches on the stage, um, like different musicians from different churches coming together. Yeah. It's really been a very powerful thing we've been doing here in the Northeast. And um, it's been great. And the nights are very modern worship. We have the haze, have the lights, have everything. It's big, it's loud the whole night. I've wrestled with this for a while because, you know, Jordan knows more of my story, but I was definitely in that season in my early 20s of, this is all wrong. It's heretical. Like, it's not the gospel, you know, <laughs> that, that more like vigilant, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, this, this lights, this, this is just, you know, it's, it's just a show kind of thing. Where I land now, though, and you, you kind of hit on this, is that you kind of equated, you mentioned that, that, that carbs, when you have a diet of just carbs, um, it's, it's not good for you. Yeah. Now, obviously, carbs are part of a balanced totally. diet for most people. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like, like modern worship has a place. And in this case, these resonates, resonate nights are kind of like sugar rushes. You yeah, know, yeah. like we have this night. It's really important. It's like dessert. Yeah. And it's good. And yeah. we have a great time. And God does move yeah. and people are impacted. Mm -hmm. But it seems like we're on this diet of only sugar. Yeah. Like, like the more the, the the bigger the pixie stick you can consume <laughs> in one hour on Sunday morning, the better off exactly. your experience yep. was. And it seems like in in our evangelical church culture in particular, we and there's a lot of reasons for this, but we are afraid to try and we're afraid to push the bar forward. Mm -hmm which is ironic because what's gotten us here has been people pushing the bar yeah, forward. Yeah. <laughs> like we're sitting on their shoulders, but now we're kind of frozen. And what, what, what I have a hard time seeing through is the, the music worship industry is a billion dollar industry. Yeah, yeah. The church industry is a billion. I mean, th these are humongous yep. industries. How do you think we start changing it? Because I'm like you where I see the problem. <laughs> I, I see it clear as day, but I'm like, hmm, like where do we start? shifting yeah. people's perspectives that it's not just information there's something else to be had here yep i i think it comes from redefining what our key results are so um it's sort of like are our results to get a lot of people in a room um which is fine and great i mean i love it i mean who doesn't right i love it but I think sometimes people like, they're right. like we want to change right. as long as change means not having to change I'm cool with it, but mm. you know. But even then, I mean, that's a little bit of an overstatement. I, I think that is. I think it's important that we define what it is we that we want to accomplish. You know, what are our key results? Is the result that people leave feeling good? Um, I think there's a number of ways to do that. Is is the only way to worship God hearing a bunch of people sing at the same time? Like, what is it we're trying to accomplish? Are we trying to get people pumped? And mm. and there is. That in itself is not bad at all. But like you said, it's like a lot like sugar. So I've had friends who have had, uh, you know, brutal, have gone through brutal um, things in life. Uh, just off the top of my head, I know people who've had really horrible um, things uh, like, um, you know, like a, like a miscarriage. You know, I have friends who have a miscarriage and have to, you know, still, they have to give birth to the baby um, you know, to a stillborn baby mm -hmm. and they can't 
come to church for a year because they walk into church and people are just singing all this sort of victorious type of uh, music, which is is part of the expression of faith, right? Like it is part of the expression of faith. Mm -hmm. But we forget what happens when someone who's just lost their child comes in. It's not, they, they need, they need something to sing. They need a, um, they need a, a, um, a path into the conversation. And so I get like the sugar is great. The sugar rush is great. But can we sit down and think about what does it mean to mourn with those who mourn, you know? rejoice with those who rejoice, right? Yep, yep. And we love that part and say, mourn with those who mourn. And people are like, I don't know, the board meeting, like, I don't know about this mourning with people who mourn stuff. This doesn't look great on the church's Instagram page. I don't know. But I think, and the thing is, you, you don't have to make extreme changes, but just think for a second, like, okay, how would we write a song and the church honor people in a moment who have gone through something like that? Because the thing about loss it, that's really interesting is we, as a society, avoid loss at almost every opportunity. Of, not avoid it because it's unavoidable, mm -hmm. but we avoid talking about it. And church avoids it. We sort of, you know, sort of the yeah. classic example and sort of the main line, evangelical church is is about all you, all you get to talk about is like, we'll see him again in heaven when, we, when we're gone. But Jesus himself wept mm -hmm. when his friend died. Yeah. And and I don't think it was just Jesus like, oh, this lack of faith, they don't believe. I don't believe that at all. I just think right. Jesus was sad. Right. I think Jesus was sad. <laughs> right. You know? I th right. I think there's precedent for that. That Jesus was just sad. And he was sad with well, his we, people. We've kind of shortcut the process. We kind yeah. of shortcut the process of of lamenting and mm -hmm. mourning. And we go, okay, get over yeah. that now and then just feel better. It's like, well, I, I need time, like a lot yeah. of time to have this process yeah, happen. Totally. That made me think right away when you were saying that, John, of that uh, Blessed Be the Name song, which is an old song now. I don't know when that became an old song, but <laughs> um, but the the bridge of that that says he gives and takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord, like and where that comes from in scripture and the story of Job, yeah. just how crazy that story is of loss and, mm -hmm. and losing family and your, your your financial security and your uh just everything and then it becomes this song that's kind of like you know it yeah. <laughs> it bops around a bit and it's <laughs> yeah just that <laughs> how do we um give that the time and the yeah. that it needs it has a heaviness that's mm -hmm. not often acknowledged yep well i i think too it's helpful to think in these terms like if god is with us and we're i don't know when this will you know, um, when you're going to post this, but you know, like right now we're a couple of days away from Christmas. You think about the birth of Jesus, right? And the, the sort of the, the, the narrative, the sort of narrative of the birth of Christ is this, is that God is with us, right? So if God is with us, then sort of God is winning with us when we win. He's struggling with us when we struggle and he's losing with us when we lose. And there's, I mean, you know, the, the narrative of the cross right there. And if, if, if the cross says anything, it says this is that God suffers with us when we suffer. He loses with us when we lose. He dies with us when we die. And this is what God does. And he's doing all of this all the time. He's winning and he's losing and he's struggling and he's winning again. And God is doing this with us constantly. So 
how do we represent God yeah. in that? How do we win with those who win? How do we struggle with those who struggle? And how do we lose with those who lose? You know, and, and that's one beautiful thing about writing a song is that you get to step into other people's shoes. You get to write the song of the loser, the song of the fighter, and the song of the winner. You get to be all of those mm. people and step into all of those stories. Because everybody is, everyone tells those stories throughout their life on any given day, right? And some days you get to do all three, yes. <laughs> right? Yes, yes. And that that could be, I'm kind of putting this together, but I think that's why so many people, including a lot of millennials and even Gen Zs are disenfranchised yeah. with the evangelical church is because there's not a place yeah. to have like that, those real moments. You know what I mean? Like there are, yeah, I, okay. I, if I'm going to church Sunday morning, I know what I'm going to hear. It's a rah-rah, you know, feel better. If you're hurting, yeah. just your blessings right around the corner. Uh, but for the pe for the person who just lost a loved one or lost mm -hmm. their child, that's not what they need to hear. Yeah. Um, like you said, there is this concept, and I always mention these guys, the Bible Project is my favorite resource on this. They talk a lot about how the God is looking for representatives in the, in the story of the Bible. That's what he's doing. He's looking for people to represent him to the nations and to other people. And when we do that, when we are that to other people, that's where they, they meet Jesus, yeah, yeah. you know, like, like we, we, people can pray for God to move and then God goes, well, I have you to be mm -hmm. my agent of change. Yeah, and we yeah. go, well, no, God, you make the move. And God's going, <laughs> no, you don't get it. You, you are the answer to that person. Yeah. Um, and I think we can get in that cycle of like, we just keep, you know, we're kind of tone deaf and then we can't change. And there's a lot of reasons for it, but yeah. I think that's why so many evangelicals are, labeled as like not religious but still very very spiritual because they know that yes yeah, something deeper yeah. is happening but I, I it's not happening in in this church culture that i grew up with that has major problems yeah. totally and often the modern sort of evangelical narrative is like god wants to help you win three steps to winning with god right and and and, and so success is sort mm -hmm. of this like winners you know idea like you got the, you're losing because you're worshiping the wrong God. You're worshiping God the wrong way. You're playing by the wrong rules. And so you're losing because, mm. but this is not scriptural. I mean, I think God will help you live a better life. Like I absolutely believe that, but I don't think God's, once again, it goes back to sort of key results. I don't think that God's definition of success is winning. I think God's definition of success is fellowship, Right. And God's definition of success is winning with those who win and losing with those who lose and struggling with those who struggle. I think that, you know, mm. and so it doesn't make winning bad. And see, that becomes the other side of the narrative. All of a sudden, anyone who is winning is the, is the enemy, right? And there's a big <laughs> totally. problem with that narrative, right? And because I don't want to put down any of the awesome stuff that's happening in, you know, in America you know, with all the justice stuff. I don't want to put any of that down, but there is a problem when the winner becomes the enemy because if you just stop for a minute and realize that, like, while you're pointing at the privileged, like, if you're living in America, you are probably in the top 1% of privileged people in the world. So all of a sudden, mm. you have to judge yourself with the same measure that you're judging other people. And it gets really ugly if you're not willing to stop for a second and realize that, like, if the winner is the enemy, then you also are the enemy because you're winning in ways that maybe you don't recognize, you know? And I don't say any of that to yes. downplay the the work of justice that's happening in the United States today. But I do think that it's really interesting that I think that uh, 
and I hate to keep coming back to it. It's just a, a thing that I'm on with the whole thing that like God's winning with the winners and he's losing with the losers and he's struggling with the strugglers. And I think we need to learn how to do the same thing and not call the losers, not call the losers yep. wicked because, well, they must have sinned. So that's why they're losing is, mm. you know, they went to Jesus. Is this man blind because of his sin or his parents? And Jesus is like, well, no, neither. Right. And so like, you know, so there's that one narrative that anyone who's losing right. is wicked. They must have done something wrong. But then the other narrative is that um, everyone who's mm-hmm. winning is uh, is privileged and they're wicked because they don't pay attention to the poor. But, you know, both of those narratives could have a um, thread of truth. But you, you have to like, I think yes. if you're going to be a believer and you're going to serve the God that's represented in Scripture, you're going to have to... Uh, hold it all in tension, right? You're going to have to mm-hmm. fellowship yes. with all of it. Um, yes, that's exactly And it's right. hard to that's do. Exactly it's right. really, really hard to do. And if that's the narrative in church, this win, 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 you know, yes. th- then all of our songs sound like that. And it becomes sugar, 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 clickbait, 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 <laughs> you know? It's like... Yep. That's exactly right. I mean, oh boy, yeah. Um it's a very Western American yeah. view of, of what's important that's seeped into what is now theology. Um, but it doesn't take a deep reading of the Bible, especially when you recognize that that the history of Israel's story is written by the losers. Yeah, I know. Like the prophets were, <laughs> were seen as losers. Yeah. You know, like that's the, the, the Jewish Bible that we have in our canon is the perspective of the guys who were hated by their own people mm-hmm. and doing crazy things. They were the exiles. Mm-hmm. So it, it is like fascinating to see that we really have this like American view of winning and dominating and American pride that has really seeped in to how we view the Bible when the Bible was written from the loser's perspective yeah. in almost every yeah. case. I mean, every author in the Bible, most of them were, you know, either killed or martyred or hated. Um, so it, it's, it's a great point you bring up. So, I wanted to ask you this, John, you know, it sounds like, and you mentioned this, that you had a few different um, crises throughout yeah, yeah. your life, but I, I listened to one of your interviews with the Bad Christian guys, it's about four yeah, years yeah. ago. And you were kind of talking through this moment you had on, uh, almost like on stage where you're, you know, just kind of frozen. And, yep. um, and it made me think of like moments that I've had on stage. <laughs> uh, well, I could be losing here for a second. Um, can you hear me now? Is this better? Yep. yep. Ironically, okay. you froze when you said the word frozen. <laughs> but um, yeah, so anyway, I said it because I, I, I went through a season of heavy anxiety, panic attacks, fear. I realized that it was, it was part of my faith journey. It sounds like you've had a similar experience. Can you kind of like share a little bit about that? Yep. It's been a little while, but, and and I don't think you think about it when you're in it, but I was under a lot of stress, but I couldn't have even communicated that I was under a lot of stress because on the surface, it doesn't seem very stressful. And you almost feel guilty for saying I'm under stress because there are people who in your mind have like real problems, you know, people Mm -hmm. who are fighting in wars or people who can't feed their families. And so it's like, why should I allow myself to call this stress? But the truth was I was not handling it well. We had young kids. I was touring a lot. We were in some financial situations. You know, you go out on tour, you spend a lot of money. So if you don't make a lot of money, you lose money. So that happens sometimes. You make bad decisions. 
And even if you make good decisions, there's all that sort of stress, and especially early on when you got family and people you're taking care of. It, it, it takes a little maturity later on to go like, it's going to be fine. I'm going to make good decisions and I'm not going to sweat it until I have to. But early on, you're sweating everything. And just um, identity issues and things, you know, so there's probably this moment, you know, there's there's this moment when I realized something. So I, I people, I, I wrote some big songs that people enjoyed. And, uh, and they were Christian songs, I guess, and worship songs. And so people sort of looked to me like I was important or I had important things to say. And um, so I'm having this sort of like faith crisis and, the, and it's like so inconvenient, right? It's like, this is so inconvenient right now to have a crisis of faith because number one, it's my job. It's how I take care of my family. It's how I take care of my team people I work with who are excited and committed, like like my faith is unfortunately a commodity at this point, among other things, but also a commodity, and I'm losing my faith. <laughs> so what am I going to do? Um, you know, then there's the, um, the ego aspect of it. Like people treat me like I'm important. I kind of like being important. I kind of like people coming to me, but do I, don't I owe it to them to be honest and not just tell them what they want to hear? And, you know, and then there's the part of it that like, I just really enjoyed it. Like I liked having faith. I liked my faith. I liked my job. I liked what I did. I liked the people. And then, so a crisis of faith was insanely inconvenient. And so I'm on the stage and realize like I'm losing it. I'm just totally losing it. I'm trying to find the feel. I'm trying to find yep. the passion. But it's just the stress and not sleeping and traveling and it all caught up to me at a couple of moments. And there was one moment a few years ago, I just walked off the stage. I just froze and I didn't know what to do. I just froze like a deer in the headlights and I just walked off the mm. stage. So part of that. You've experienced my greatest fear. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I, I've gotten to the point now where I, I hate the internet for this, but like I got to the point now where I'm. I'm okay with being myself on the stage. Like I've, I mean, I've cried on the stage before, so it's, you know, try, <laughs> try to be honest and real. But yeah, that was one of those moments where I just walked right off the stage. And I think part of it was me. Like I needed this approval from the people. I needed everything to work. And I realized at a moment, it's like, I cannot force this to work. I cannot force mm -hmm. this to happen later on i found out that people thought it was a great night and they didn't even notice that i kind of walked off towards the end um they thought it was just maybe a um dramatic exit or something you know like so it wasn't, I wasn't he's a, he's so artsy i wasn't mad at them yeah, i don't think so i was, was putting bad vibes out but you know, i mean part of that was not taking care of myself like we were traveling in a van and sometimes during those days you would drive eight hours, unload for an hour and a half, sound check for an hour and a half, do an hour long VIP, play a two hour show and then shake hands at the merch table and then pack up, settle out with the promoter and then drive, you know, 40 minutes to your hotel 
And sometimes they would take like at night 20 minutes to check in. That was like the only time that I would get angry. <laughs> be like, mm-hmm. you know, you've been up for 12 hours and you got to get up the next morning at six in the morning to drive eight more hours to the next place. You do that for so long when you're young, it's like great. But when you, you reach like your thirties, mm-hmm. you know, mid thirties, all of a sudden you're like, this does not work. Like, even if I can physically make it happen, yep. <laughs> I am not very kind to anyone because I don't have it. I'm not being kind to myself, so I have no kindness in me because I'm dying physically from the demand of the tour. I think that was part of that is is that um, I was just so exhausted and emotionally gone. I had nothing to offer anybody. So it was after that I had to start um, taking ca- better care of myself. I had to start... Um, deciding what I what I would and wouldn't do, what I was willing to do and not willing to do as far as touring and come up with some better plans and require that the people I'm working with be more organized or be more organized myself, you know. So there's that part of it. It's mm-hmm. just the physical, you know, when you have little kids, you go home, you're not really sleeping at home. Um, you know, sleep becomes such a valuable yep commodity in the middle of life right so valued. <laughs> you never yeah. think about it until you don't have it oh, no. and you're like wait i need this to happen <laughs> but sort of through this process of falling apart i actually feel like i met jesus for the first time in, in some sense because i feel like i was really sort of arrogant about what i believed and then i realized like oh okay i'm experiencing what most of the world feels like why am i right like just because I was born in the right place. Oh, you happen to be born right into the right religion. Imagine that, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, so I went through a whole long mm-hmm. sort of process. Like, I think I actually sort of did the deconstruction thing before there's a word for it. I mean, there's a lot. It was happening to a lot <laughs> yeah. of people, but I mean, it's happening to everyone all the time. But, you know, and it was really interesting how all these conversations came up. You know, a few years after I kind of went through that and we did the Mercury and Lightning record and I went through a process of sort of rediscovering my faith. And um, yeah, I just, I think I landed in this place where I said, you know, what can you know in this world? Like, really, what can you know? I mean, you know, we could easily be um, in a simulation and not here. I mean, that sounds ridiculous, but it's not. It's look at look at how tech look where technology is going, how far technology has gone in fifty years and a hundred years, and then in the last ten. Like it's growing exponentially. The world's getting weirder and it's getting weirder faster, <laughs> and there's no way we're gonna be able to slow it down. Minus like nuclear winter or something, which I pray doesn't mm-hmm. happen, but you know. Um yeah. <laughs> don't don't speak that yeah, into existence, John. <laughs> <laughs> but say that doesn't happen. We're headed to, into weird places technologically. And, um, but, but what can you really know when you really think about it? And I realized one day I was like, this is what I know. This is what I absolutely know. Number one, I'm obsessed with the powers that led to my existence. And number two, um, and and I have been since I was a kid, I have been since as long as I can remember, I've been obsessed with the powers that led to my existence. Number two, I'm obsessed with seeing those powers in other human beings. Than I always have been. Mm. And I realized this is like, oh, I've lapped myself. I've gone all the way around the deconstruction world and I landed on the two commandments of Jesus, love God and love your neighbor. And I realized like mm. the 
what I wanted more than anything in my life was to actually do those two things. And it's like, well, that's all I need, right? Is the two commandments of Jesus. And all of a sudden, I went so far in one direction, I, I lapped myself and I realized I've been a believer my whole life. I've always been a believer. Yeah. I've always been obsessed mm-hmm. with the uh, Christian ideas. And so for me, that yeah. was my road back into faith. I realized like I loved it. I really mm-hmm. loved it. And I missed in those times, I really, I missed my faith. I missed being a person of faith. And it's really boring to not have faith. Yeah. You know, and, and if you yeah. know something, yeah. is it faith totally. anyway? You know, at that point, yeah. once again, it's facts. Dead reality. Yeah. Right. But no story. Mm. No reason to care. Right. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of information yeah. and no reason to care at all about the information. <laughs> you feel that like that whole process for you of sort of that like deconstruction, reconstruction, finding your faith, um, going through all that. Do you feel like that was different for you or you had a different approach to that because of being a little more in the public eye or people knowing you or, or thinking they know you, <laughs> things about you. I, I think about just things we've talked about and that whole idea of deconstruction or <clears throat> questioning your faith, whatever you call it. Like it's, it almost becomes like so risky for some yeah. people depending on the situation they're in. And I just wonder how that kind of played out or even just your thought yeah. process about that as you went through yeah. that. Well, there's definitely a show must go on mentality. Mm, and sure. people, it's not even that certain people refuse to believe or refuse to acknowledge certain things, but what whatever it is that's important to you, whatever you're doing, whatever you're in the middle of, often dominates even your subconscious conversation. So if you're a mega, if you're a church of a, <laughs> if you're a church of a mega pastor, if you're a pastor of a mega church, you're so busy <laughs> And it's actually really, I mean, I've never been one, but I know them and it's really hard work. It's insanely hard work. Like it's not easy by any stretch. And you've worked your whole life to build this thing. And then you, every, every single thought is about how to maintain it. And it's, you, it's, you know, sure there's some ego involved. Almost no one does anything important without a little bit of ego. Like it, almost no one does anything super successful. It's just part of the fuel that pushes you so there's all I'm, i imagine there's ego involved but it's not just ego you you think about all the people you support and you think all the all the people who believe in you and so every i would imagine every minute of every day is thinking about how to maintain this thing that you've been part of creating and so there really isn't time for certain conversations to squeeze into your internal dialogue right um but mm. so it's not just that but for me, I think there was that moment when I was like, ah, oh, these thoughts are inconvenient. These thoughts are inconvenient. But then there was a moment when I couldn't ignore them any longer or I had to like deal with these thoughts. Yeah. You know, it's, and it's a little bit hard to say whether or not it was different for me. I would think it would be a little bit different because my job, but it's not just my job. Like I love my work. I love what I do. It's not just ego for me. It's also my passion. And so it's not just like, oh, I'm going to lose money or, oh, I'm not going to be um, uh, well-known anymore. It's like, this is my passion. And am I going to not be able to sing about what I believe in now because I'm having a hard time with my faith? Mm-hmm. You know, so there's a lot of fear there. And so 
it may have taken me longer to deal with some of the issues as some of my friends, like the stuff they'll post on Instagram. I was like, man, I might have thought that, but I could never say that because it would have such mm-hmm. an impact on my world and has no impact on their world whatsoever. Mm-hmm. You know, like they're not brave. I mean, maybe they are brave, but that doesn't prove that they're brave. They have yeah. nothing to lose. And I had a lot to lose. Mm, but, yeah. you know, and so for me, mm. it's it was really difficult for me to work through that whole process because there was so much for me to lose. But I had to do it. Otherwise, yeah. mm. I couldn't turn around and talk to you guys today and tell you that, like, I love Jesus. I actually do. Yeah. I can't tell <laughs> you that I'm... I believe I couldn't tell you honestly that I'm a believer. I actually am a believer. It's maybe a different kind of believer. Mm. It's I'm less like yep. I have less I don't have this like list of facts that I swear are real because there's no way whatsoever to prove that. But what I do know is that mm. by having fellowship with those ideas, you know, and I think God is much more than an idea, obviously, but by having fellowship with those ideas, having fellowship with God, life is just way better. It's it's way better world to live in for me, hmm. um, hmm. and I can say that with like um, all honesty and in all truth that even and and it's more for me than that. But even if it was just that, that would be worth it for me. Hmm. You know, yeah. but it's it's obviously more than that for me. But may I don't know if I answered your question very well or not. But it's it's complex no, for me. That's great. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think that's a crazy kind of thing to think about that for you and then i feel like for everyone and I, i've had this experience in my life of kind of getting to that point where you just feel like you know i can't i can't yeah, fake yeah, this yeah. anymore you know <laughs> like if if this is actually yes. at all important to me you know my, if right, my yeah. faith is important to me then i have to go through whatever this is going to be you know maybe it's going to be difficult mm-hmm. or maybe i'll lose yeah. people whatever but you know the alternative is to leave (laughs) or you know or to continue pretending and yeah it feels like so much of a a peace can come from coming out the other side of that and saying you know i i'm i don't maybe i don't have all the answers but i you know i i'm this is real you know totally pretending anymore when it goes back to the like is the goal to win if the goal is to win, right. like we need to make yeah. sure everyone has the same mindset, we're all on the same page, yeah. or is the goal fellowship? Is mm-hmm. God helping us win, or is God looking yeah. for fellowship in the winning, losing, and the struggle? Yeah. You yeah. know, and so yeah. I'm struggling to like, and that's the thing. It's like there's a, I don't know if you're familiar with Carl Jung's shadow. I'm not like deep into psychology, but there's a concept called the shadow. It's everyone has this idea of what makes them successful. Then they have this idea of things they don't believe are successful and they take the unsuccessful parts themselves and they sweep them under the rug. But the problem is that those things don't go away. Those things are always mm. a part of you. Right. And so mm. and and if and and what makes it worse is if you don't pay attention to those things, those things start to like children that you don't pay attention to, those things start to cause problems in your life. And it happens on a large scale too. So in church, it's a win, 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 win. If it's all win, then what happens, these these ideas that we say aren't successful, oh, you're struggling with your faith? No, 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 you just need to pray more. You just need to pray more. Mm-hmm. But you're you're depressed, you're sad because mm-hmm. your relationship didn't work mm-hmm. out. You just need to trust God. Like, Or you're having questions about faith and reality. You just need to believe the Bible, son. Just believe the Bible. And, and so we sweep these ideas under the rug. But the problem is they start to haunt us because we mm-hmm. haven't properly dealt with them. 
and and by dealing with them, I don't mean we get rid of them. I mean we have to we have to love them and bring them like children into the family and mature them. And so we need to have mature doubts. Mm-hmm. For most people, I get a little bit offended when people are like, you know, they list all the bad things that have happened in church and they say, this is why I don't serve God. I'm like, let's have some mature doubts. Like you also realize all those things happen at the mall, right? Like all those <laughs> things happen everywhere. It's like, so like you're going to stop everywhere. going to the mall because yeah. you don't like the way things happen. And, all, and then people, even with like issues like, you know, about like a racial justice. I was like, yeah, but you realize most of the church is not male and white. So if you're going to leave the church because you don't like how they're handling justice, like then you're part of the problem because you haven't sat under people who are not male and white. And there's a lot of mm-hmm. non-male, non-white believers and teachers and people that you that are part of the church of Christ, church of Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, you, you know, so it's sort of like a pet peeve of mine when people take a small... I don't know how I got off on that tangent. We were talking about <laughs> Carl Jung's shadow. Because that's my point. If we don't properly deal with um, our doubts, our doubts don't go away. They're part of who we are. Yeah. And we need to bring them into the fold and mature them that's and right. love them and help them right. grow up and be healthy parts of who we are. You know. Yeah. Well, and also recognizing that everyone doubts exactly <laughs> i mean the this david in the psalms mm-hmm. is bipolar one stanza he's loving god next god he's like next stanza he's like where are you god i mean mm-hmm. this is a normal human thing is to doubt yeah you have permission to doubt mm-hmm. so that's okay so it is okay. um john i want to respect your time yep. and i appreciate you coming on with us anything anything that, that, that you want to plug i know you have, you have an album out in 2020 you've been doing some stuff Plug away. Yep. What do you got we for obviously us? put People with Dreams out in 2020, early 2020. And then uh, a few weeks ago, we put out a live album called Stable Session Live. Both those records are available everywhere. And um, also, there's some bonus stuff on Bandcamp. If you want to hear some of the stories behind the songs and stuff, that stuff is on a deluxe version of Stable Session Live on Bandcamp. And you can follow me on all of the socials and join the email list. Like seriously, the algorithms don't always feed me to you on Instagram. So if you want to know what's happening, join the email list to know all the important stuff. Where'd you go, Tim? I'm definitely going to use your audio, John. I'm here. <laughs> well, well, it's going to be, I imagine it'll be a lot of work. John, but at least you've thank got you it. for having, uh, for coming on the show and, and talking to us. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you guys. It's really been great. All right, friends, that is our interview with John, and I got to say, he was so gracious to us. What a nice guy. Totally understood the problems we were having uh, to get the recording done. But John, uh, thank you so much for coming on. It was great talking to you. Honestly, guys, I listened back to this episode uh, in post-production to get it ready for release, and all I could tell myself was, darn it, Tim, why didn't you have the internet connection so you could have responded to this point and to that point? So I feel like there were a few opportunities missed, but... It is what it is. So um, I, I called my internet provider and gave them an earful, and hopefully it does not happen again. So guys, listen, thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode. Once again, don't forget to like and subscribe to our podcast, and we have a whole lineup of really cool guests coming your way. So hang tight, and we will talk to you guys soon. Thanks for checking out the Coffee Theology in Jesus podcast. You can always drop us a line on Facebook or through our email, podcast at coffeetheologyandjesus.com. 
as we love to hear from our listeners. Until next time, drink coffee, discuss theology, and love Jesus.